Well, good morning. Everybody good? You know, we had, uh, we've had three really big weeks in a row. We've just about worn everybody out. We had Vision Sunday, we had Easter, and then we had Kim Walker in concert last Sunday. Now, how many of you got to come to the Kim Walker concert? Raise your hand up. Isn't that awesome? Uh, we talked to her just uh, last week, and I said, hey, how about you come back in the fall? And she said, uh, if, if it's on my calendar, I'll be there. She loves Influence Church, loves being here. And uh, so it's pretty exciting. And, uh, you know, I came across a joke I just want to tell you. You, you all up for a joke? You good? Keep you awake, right? That's not very enthusiastic. I, you know, let me tell you how this works. The lower the enthusiasm, the longer I go. Now, how many of you want to hear a joke? I'm still going to go long. All right, now here's, here's how it goes. Cop pulls a man over for speeding. He walks up to the car and says, do you know how fast you were going? He said, I was trying to keep up with the traffic, he replied. The cop looks up and down the highway. What are you talking about? There is no traffic. And the man answered, that's how far behind I am. <laughs> well, if you feel far behind, you know what, we're going we're gonna to try to get you caught up. Kind of reminds me of Brother Barney. How many of you heard of Brother Barney? Brother Barney uh, decided to take a vow of silence. And so he checked himself into a very, very restrictive kind of a monastery. We can only speak two words every year. So he finished his first year. He went in before the superior and he said, uh, uh, you know, uh, Brother Barney, you know, you finished your first year. You have two words. What would you like to say? And he said, food bad. Thank you, Brother Barney. You're dismissed. I'll see you next year. Off he goes, taking his vow of silence, can't say a word, comes back second year. And he said, uh, Brother Barney, how are you doing? I, you have two words. What would you like to say? He said, bed hard. He said, okay, thank you, Brother Barney. I'll see you again next year. He comes back the third year, and he says, Brother Barney, this is your third year. What would you like to say? He said, I quit. And he said, well, it doesn't surprise me. All you've done is complain for the last three years. That was funnier than that. All right, we're going to talk about the invisible war. I want you to think about it like this. I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to try to put it all together in one picture. Imagine this, that before the Bible was written, before man was created, God, in all of his sovereignty, was ruling and reigning over everything. Things seen and unseen that aren't even recorded in Scripture. Because we don't know what God has been up to in his creation. But the first thing that we know about from the Bible that God created was angelic beings, invisible beings that would serve him. And within that great picture of Godhead that he had with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he created three archangels. And of those archangels, one of them, Lucifer, decided to rebel against God and in the process took one-third of the angelic beings with him who became known in Scripture as principalities, powers, and demonic spirits. So you've got Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. God wanted to heighten the value and show you the significance of these archangels. So when he created the Ark of the Covenant with outstretched wings looking down into the mercy seat of God, were two archangels. There could have been three, but one chose to rebel against God. Now what happened in this scheme of things is God then created man. So all of a sudden you come to Genesis chapter 3 and guess who shows up? 
Satan is there in the garden, isn't he? You say, where did he come from? Remember, if we go back before creation, there was the creation of angelic beings. Satan shows up, or Lucifer, as he's known in Scripture as well, he shows up and he begins to attack man, creating the image of God. Because he can't get to God, but what he wants to do is he wants to destroy your life. He wants to take the joy out of your life. He wants to confuse you into who God really is. So the first thing he does, he asks Adam and Eve, is God really good? If God was really good, wouldn't he let you eat from every tree of the garden? But God knows the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like him. Don't you want to be like God? Don't you want to be in control of your destiny? Don't you want to be the person who gets to answer to no one and does his own thing or her own thing? Well, it sounds good. Of course I do. Why is God unfair? That's why. What do you hear from people who don't believe in God most often? If God is so good, why does he let evil in the world? It's the same thing that happened in Genesis 3, questioning the character of God. What you have to know is God is a good God and the devil is a bad devil. Because God said, here's the tree of life. Eat from the tree of life. It's good. And he looked and he said, it's good. Everything about it is good. And God always works from the center with the tree. That's why the center of the universe is Calvary's tree. And life comes from the tree. And you can't go beyond the tree. And all through Scripture, what happens when you get to Genesis chapter 20 through 22? Guess what happens? There's a tree, again, in the midst of the garden. There's a throne of God flowing from the, from the throne of God is the river of God. And on, every side of the, on both sides of the river are the trees that are for the healing of the nations. God's always about healing. Now, what we want to do is talk to you about the invisible war. And I, wanna, I want you just to probe this for a moment in your mind. Why is it life is so tough sometimes? It is, right? I mean, anybody have a few tough moments in your lifetime? A few stressful moments in your lifetime? I mean, am I talking to you or am I talking to somebody else, right? I mean, it's that way, isn't it? Just recently we were, uh, yesterday, we were, uh, two days ago, I guess, we went, drove down to San Diego to hang out with our grandkids and, and spend some time with our son and daughter-in-law. And, and it was, uh, it's kind of like we were back away from people. We got this little hotel, got a great little price on it, and there was just like no one around. It was like, I'm going, wait a minute, where's the 91 traffic? I don't hear it. And all of a sudden, I just, I got so relaxed, I almost couldn't drive. And I realized this first thing, why is it? It's because we're on emotional overload. Everything about our life is about emotional overload. I was doing a, Tammy and I were doing a Bible study in, in uh, L.A., um, I don't know, last week sometime, I, I lose track of days, but we were doing this Bible study, and there was a guy from Alaska who was leading worship. Alaska. I mean, what, how does this guy show up in L.A. from Alaska, right? And he was all relaxed. You know, he's from Alaska. He's got to be relaxed, right? They don't even go outside for like six months up there, I think. But I'm sitting there listening to worship. You know, he was doing a great job, and my phone was in my pocket. I always keep it on vibrate, and it was just going off, going off like that. And I finally reached in my pocket, and I turned it off completely off, and I got up, and the first thing I said was, you know, I turned my phone off because I was more aware of its presence than I was of the presence of God. See, what are you more aware of, stuff in your life, your phone, your agenda, your schedule, your calendar, or the presence of God? There has to be a time where you stop and say, wait a minute, i got to focus on the presence of God. i got to do that. We're on emotional overload. I think another thing that's happening to us is we, we also, we, we lack balance in our life. When God created you, he created you body, soul, and spirit. 
You have a physical body. It's inside this physical body is a soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your spirit, that is your heart. What happens is this body, soul, and spirit, it gets out of balance. Well, you know, we, we get so busy with our mind, our mental stuff, mind, will, and emotions that it squeezes out, you know, some of that spiritual stuff. Or sometimes we just wear ourselves down physically that we don't have time to rejuvenate our physical body, and, we're just, and, it, and we suffer all kinds of different consequences in our physical body whether it's migraines or whether it's allergies or whatever, this, that there's stress-induced stuff in our life because we're out of balance. And God says, I want you to come back and get in balance. I mean, they even have an energy bar called a balance bar, right? I mean, I eat one of those and I still feel the same. I don't know what's wrong. You know, I'm still out of balance. I need a more. Give me a couple more of those and I go have lunch. But the other thing that happens too is, is the reason life is tough is because of demonic forces against you. And we're going to talk about that. This is the invisible war we're talking about because the, the battle you're fighting is really not with what you see. It's what you don't see. And what you don't see, you begin to feel. And when you begin to feel it and embrace it, if, if Satan can control your, your attention, he'll soon be controlling your actions. I want you to understand that you are in training. You're in training for a heavenly assignment. You see, when God created you, he didn't create you just to come on earth, kind of hang out for, you know, 60, 70, 100 years, however long you live you know, raise a family, you know, go to church, you know, make a living. You know, it was more than that. All of that, and God wants you to enjoy that, but it was more than that. God said, I'm going to put you on planet Earth, and I'm going to put you in training for your heavenly assignment. And your faithfulness here on planet Earth is going to have direct bearing on your heavenly assignment. So if you want to, let's say, win big in heaven, you have to learn the rules of the kingdom. You know, there's a scripture that says that we exchange our ashes for beauty. I thought about that. I thought that's the currency of heaven. It's when I come to the place to where I, I just have ashes. I say, God, I don't have anything left. All I give you is my, my ashes. And he says, then I'm going to give you beauty. That's the currency. Isn't that great? God is not wanting me to be proud and arrogant and be in control of everything. God wants me to humble myself under his mighty hand. And when I humble myself under his mighty hand and I become like ashes, I mean, what do you do with ashes? You know, we have a fireplace. We have a wood-burning fireplace. I don't know if it's legal or not, but we burn wood in it. I just want to go on record letting you know I'm burning wood in my wood-burning fireplace about once a year. And you know what's left are ashes. What do you do with ashes? I mean, you, you, you wait for them to cool off. You scoop them up, and you get rid of them, right? But God says, no, not in the heavenly kingdom, not in the kingdom of God. You know what I do with ashes? I'm going to exchange it for beauty. I'm going to give you something you never dreamed of. You might have come in here today with a bunch of ashes. You might be hurting. There might be things going wrong in your life. You might be out of work. You might, your relationships may be going sour. And you say, all I got is ashes. And God says, now we can start. Now we can get started. This is what I want. I'm going to take you to the book of Revelation. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 12 if you want to open your Bibles to that portion of Scripture. And I want to talk about this heavenly war that's going, that went on and, and is still going on today. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, the Bible says that a war broke out in heaven. You don't think of heaven having a war, do you? But you see, remember, God created and what happened? He gave freedom, freedom of choice to all the angelic beings, and a third of those, of those angelic beings, they rebelled against God. Look what it says. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. Now, the dragon is Satan, 
and the dragon and his angels, those are demonic spirits. So when you read in the Bible, and it talks about principalities and powers and, and spiritual forces in wickedness and demonic spirits. Those were angels that fell away from God, rebelled against God, and now make up this invisible battle that we find ourselves in. And it says, but I like the good news, and they did not prevail. They couldn't prevail against God, nor was there any place found for them in heaven any longer. Well, that's good and bad news because that means that when they're not there, they're here, right? When they're not warring against Michael, they're warring against you. And But God says, no, this is training. This is preparatory for what I've got for you in all of eternity. You say, I want you to see something about Satan. Satan is defeated progressively, slowly, not instantly in your life. You ever struggle with something in your life? You ever struggle with a, with a habit, a thought pattern? I mean, anybody hasn't, right? Okay, have you ever noticed, have you ever just said, God, will you just take this away from me once and for all and be done with it? And God either doesn't say anything clearly doesn't do it, and you find yourself in the battle, God, why do I have to keep battling with this? Because I want you to understand the heart of a warrior. I want you to understand how you win the battle. You don't win battles instantly. You win battles little by little where you take the next hill and you take the next hill. You take the next problem. You take the next problem. And then you look back in your life one day and you go, look how much progress I've made. Wow. You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm better off than I'm better than I was. That's good news, right? Now, if you got the other story, we got to talk. I'm ten times worse than I used to be. Okay, well then let's get started on the track again. Let's get moving in the right direction. You see, God chooses to defeat evil without destroying freedom. You see, have you ever ever thought had this thought? God, why don't you just get rid of all the evil, all the bad people, Satan, and all of that, and make this place a perfect place? God can do that because God is all-powerful. The reason God doesn't do that is because in so doing, he would take away freedom. What he wants you to do is use your freedom to the destruction of evil. You see, even, even the, the whole process of government on planet Earth is, is, is really in our hands, isn't it? It's moldable and shapeable, and God says, you can take and you can direct and, and be involved in government and bring about good in society if you choose to. Many Christians, unfortunately, they choose just to pull back and just say, you know what, you know, this world is just really in bad shape and I don't know what we're going to do and, you know, there's not much we can do about it. We might as well just kind of try to survive. God never wanted to survive. He wants us to be involved and make, be change agents in the world and, and stop human trafficking and, and right injustice and, and bring about good government and bring about righteousness and good in the land. Amen? I mean, isn't that what we're really kind of battling right now when we go to the, the whole picture of government and politics and all of that? It's like, can't we just have good, solid people running and directing the government. Yes, we can, but it takes all of us to rise up and say, we want that in our life. You see, in order to conquer evil, God permitted evil. In order to conquer evil, God permitted evil. See, Satan rises up in evil, but it was in freedom that he allowed him to rise up. And it's also in our freedom that we can battle and win battles in our life. So God, what did he do? He created free creatures who could choose good or evil. I get to choose. Every day I get up and I get to say something like this, God, I want to walk with you. 
I want to follow you. I want to choose you. I choose you. I choose to love you. I choose to love you. And God, guess what? He chooses to love me. Isn't that great? So God chose, now watch this, God chose not to annihilate sin, but rather to defeat sin. Don't you feel good when you get a victory? Don't you feel good when you go, wow, I, I conquered that. I, I did it. I, you know, you say, I had to bite my tongue. I felt it on the inside, but that was the first step. You had to start there to let it kind of move itself into your heart and your spirit to where you took away even the desire of it. As image bearers of God, you're called to defeat sin and establish the principles of the kingdom in your personal life, in your home, in your work, and in your spheres of influence. And when you do that, guess what? You feel good. And God loves it when you feel good about stuff like that because you feel like you've, you've accomplished something. You've won a battle that you didn't know you could win. And now you know you can win. You see, you can rise above the battle. Let me take you on a little bit deeper into Revelation 12. This is verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out. The serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So now we see the battle coming to earth, coming to you, coming to me. Why? Because God has a plan for you. Do you know that you're called trophies of God's grace? You ever want a trophy? You know, and you get a trophy and you bring it home and it looks like the biggest trophy you've ever seen. You put it on the mantle and you're so proud of it. And whatever, it, you know, whatever you did, whether it was basketball or cheerleading or baseball or whatever it was, you were proud of it. It was a trophy. You put it there because you wanted everybody to see that you did something. You know, guess what God has? God says, you're a trophy of my grace. I put you on the heavenly mantle, so to speak. For all of the angels and all the demonic spirits to see, I'm proud of you. Do you know God's proud of every one of you? You say, well, how can he be proud of me? Because he is. His character is that way. And when you make a, even a little victory, he goes, I'm proud of you. Well, but I had ten failures. I'm still proud of you. If God loved us when we were sinners, how much more does God love us now that we are his children? Romans chapter 5. I mean, think about that. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that exciting? You don't have to win every battle for God to love you, be proud of you, and, and call you his own and call you a trophy of his grace. Here's what I've found. We're emotionally underdeveloped as people. Let me explain what I mean by that. Do you remember how you got your way when you were a child? Remember that? Remember that? Maybe within those siblings, maybe your, your whole plan was your strategy was pit one or two against the other. Maybe go to mom first, kind of get the no, then go to dad and try to not say you already got the no. And you did. You had all these childhood strategies on how you got stuff done. And if you've got children, you can see it playing out in their lives right now. Amen? You see what's happening. How about that one where you, 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 know, you go down the cereal aisle. This was a favorite of mine. And I, I, you go down the cereal aisle, and there's a kid laying on the floor, kicking his feet on the ground. The mom's going, I don't know what to do with him. I, I tell you what to do with him. Get him up here and whip his rear end, and he'll be fine. He wants cereal. He wants this, this certain cereal. You can't have it, and you're not getting that. But here's, what, here's the problem. The childhood techniques that we used when they carry over into adolescence and adulthood, they become a big problem. Some of the patterns that are in your life today are the same patterns that were in your life as a child. You're still trying to, you're still trying to go down the same road, and you're still getting the same results, but you're still convinced because you see there was a pattern set because emotionally we're underdeveloped. Let me show you what that means. Here's one of the things we do. 
We react to the darkness instead of invading the darkness. We react to the darkness instead of invading the darkness. It's not hard to find good people or Christian people who will talk about how bad the world is. Do you know that when you, when you lift up darkness, you empower darkness in your own mind? You were never called to lift it up or say how bad it was. You were called to invade it and change from darkness into light. You were called to be light bearers in a dark world. The other thing we do is we're impressed with problems. This is another way that we're emotionally underdeveloped. You know, you get in a room with people and you say, well, you know, let me tell you about what went wrong, and then somebody else does what? They'll tell you a worse story. And, you know, have you ever been, a, you know, in one of those conversations where you just said, we got to get out of this conversation because it's spiraling downward, you see, and that's what the enemy does. He takes these patterns of how bad we have it how bad God is or how unfair the world is, and we're impressed with problems. The other thing we do, we, we exalt form over power. I, I don't know, there's very few people I know who don't pray. And they'll tell you, well, I'm praying about it. But the real question is, is are you just going through the form or the motions, or do you have power? Because prayer by itself, if you're not seeing results, is only what? Just making you feel better. For a long time, I used to, as a pastor, I'd, you know, people would be sick, and I would pray something to this effect. God, I just pray that you will heal them, but I know if you don't, I just pray you'll comfort them. Now, I don't know about you, but if, 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 when I look back on that, that's not a very good prayer. I don't, want, I don't want to be comfortable and sick. I want to be healed. And the guy I'm calling on to pray or the gal I'm calling on to pray, I want them to believe in the God who changes lives who believes in miracles, who, who thinks mountains can move. That's what I want. And then I came across this truth in Scripture, and here's the truth. Jesus never told us to pray for the sick. He told us to heal the sick. And I'll tell you, when you start going down that journey, and the journey is this, God, uh, we just believe in you for healing. God, we're calling healing. We start doing that. I'm telling you what, you talk about stretching your faith muscle. Because you don't know where it's going to go. You say, God, uh, I cannot look. I cannot look at the circumstances. I cannot look at the person. I have to look to Jesus. It's all about Jesus ultimately, isn't it? What can God do in your life if you just look to him? Get your eyes off the problem. Look to Jesus. See what Jesus will do. Also a lack of knowledge. Sometimes we, we, kind, of, we kind, of, kind of stumble a bit in the Christian life because we just don't know what to do or how to pray in Hosea, it says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Knowledge about the kingdom, knowledge about, about what God can do and, and how God is available to us in any and every situation. You know, just something simple. There's principles in the kingdom that are consistent. For example, let me give you one. What you sow, you will also, what does it say? Reap. Do we believe that? I don't know. Let me try it again. Do we believe that or not believe that? It's just in the Bible. I mean, it, you know, I'm not asking you to ask, answer some weird question here, right? Do we believe that what we sow, we reap? Okay, have you ever noticed when you sow love, you get love back? When you sow anger, you get anger back? It, it just works that way, doesn't it? I mean, just try it. Just, you know, go into a store and uh, walk up to somebody and say, you know, you're an idiot. And see if they say, I love you. 
I'm, I'm, I'm almost willing to bet on that one, right? How about you go up to somebody and say, man, you look great today. How are you doing? I don't know you, but my name is. And you put out your hand. And I'll bet you out at 99 out of 100 times, they're going to reach out their hand and say, hey, well, man, thank you for the compliment. I don't even know who you are, but my name is. That's the law of sowing and reaping. And it works in every area of our life, every area of our life. We can be transformational just by practicing one of the great principles of the law in the kingdom. Another thing about us, I think we're just, we're starved for the presence of God. We're starved for his presence. Do you know when you feel close to God, have you ever noticed how good you feel and how you have courage and how life seems to be easier, life seems to be better? Because you just, you have the presence of God. And when you don't have it, have you noticed how, well, you describe it like this. I feel like God's a million miles away. No, he's right there. You're living out a million miles away from him, but he's not, he's never going to leave you or forsake you. He's right there. How do I get the, how do I become aware of the presence of God? I simply begin to talk out the presence of God. I said this a few weeks ago, and I had so many comments from it, and they said, I never thought about it like that. I really don't believe you're praying until you pray out loud. I got to thinking about it, got to studying scripture, and I realized that what I'm, what I'm really doing is I'm meditating in my head. I think I'm praying in my head, but what I'm doing is I'm meditating. Because when I find prayer, prayer is out loud talking to God. How about that? That'll change your way of thinking. I've done more meditation than I thought than I thought I had and less praying than I thought I had when I really began to put that in. And you realize that when Jesus wanted to change the situation, have you ever noticed how he prayed or he spoke out loud? He spoke to the leper, he spoke to the mountain, he spoke to the fig tree, he spoke it out loud. Now, you may not feel comfortable praying out loud in a crowd, but you can do it by yourself. And that's what I really encourage you to do is, is just begin to verbalize and say, hey, I just want to ask the presence of God to be right here. God, I just there's just a sense of your presence right now, and I can't even describe it. And when you begin to speak those words, the presence of God begins to show up in your life. I, I can't explain it, but it's true. I'm going to show you. We're gonna, I want to I illustrate this. I want us all to participate, okay? Will you just bear with me on this one? Yeah? There's like all of them will do this. <laughs> We're going to get you all like pom-poms. You're going to come up here and just like, come on. Okay, here, here's how it goes. Let's just repeat after me. Dear God, I need your presence. I'm aware of your presence right now. Your presence feels tangible. There's a weightiness about your presence. There's a power about your presence. I'm aware that you're right here right now. I won't ask for a show of hands, but some of you, when you said those words, you began to sense the presence of God. And it wasn't difficult. You see, calling on the presence of God is you becoming aware of where he already is. That's all. Your awareness of him brings the reality of him to a higher level in your life. His presence is like, you know, his glory. And you just say, God, I just want to be in your presence. And guess what? When you... When you when you live in the presence of God and you find yourself in different situations, people are aware that the presence of God is in you or on you. 
you may not be aware of it, but they are aware of it in you or on you. They might say something like this, what's, you seem to be different, or what's going on in your life? Or you see, the Bible says that we carry about in this physical body the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's a sweet aroma. You ever had a sweet aroma? You ever just kind of walk and go, wow, what, what, that, just like a flower or something. You go, that's a sweet aroma. It just smells good. And you look around, you're trying to figure out where it's coming from. You don't know where it's coming from, but, you know, you're just in the middle of it. Do you realize that you are the carrier of the sweet aroma of the presence of Jesus Christ? And whenever you go into a situation where anybody, whether you're aware of it or not, you are carrying the presence of God. And we're to be good guardians and, and, and carriers of that presence of God in our life. I want you to see something else. You are a winner whether you feel like it or not. You are a winner whether you feel like it or not. I remember one time I was in fifth grade, and I was kind of a, uh, I was a very slow runner, unlike today. I, I just, you know, God gave me this big Nordic Dutch body, and, and it wasn't designed to run. It was really designed for, like, couches and chairs and things like that, and you know, everybody has a calling, right? And that's mine. And uh, and I remember there was going to be a little 50-yard dash or something on the playground. And, and I got out there, and I don't know what happened, what went wrong, but they blew the whistle. I took off, and I won. And everybody was looking around like, what happened? I mean, I don't know if I jumped the whistle. I don't know if God blinded a few people in the process. I don't know what happened, but I won. Well, they wanted to race again. Do you think I'm racing again? There's no way I'm racing again. I was a winner. I enjoyed the winning. I'm still enjoying the winning. I can still see the faces of Randy and Michael and Johnny and some of those other guys that were weeping because the Nordic fat kid won. Praise God. Guess what? You're a winner. You have been declared winner. Do not let anyone say you're not a winner. Do not let anyone pull you back into the race and say you have to race again. Jesus has already run the race. He's already passed the goal. He's already got you through to the end. You just go back. Don't let the enemy say let's race again. I don't need to race again. Jesus was crucified, buried, rose from the grave that I might have life and have it eternal. And I am a winner. Look what it says here in Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. Have you ever noticed there's just loud voices in heaven? Loud voices in heaven. You get to heaven, you know, if you don't like loud noise, you're going to hate heaven. Why, God, would you turn down the PA? It's just the way it is in heaven. I'm sorry, you know. Loud in heaven. And look what he says. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. You know what Satan does? You get up in the morning, he, and he, he looks at you as his image bearer, and he says, something wrong with you. You fall short. If people really knew, you're not that good. You did this wrong. You did that wrong. And you know what he's doing? Day and night, it says. That's what it says. Day and night, he's pointing his finger at you. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Fall short, fall short. That's why you feel that way sometimes. You have to just reverse that and say, wait a minute, that's not true. That's not what Scripture says. 
It says that, and they overcame him, verse 11, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and because they did not love their life even unto death. You see, that, that, was, that was probably something that was sung. Can you imagine singing that? By the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, because they didn't love their life even unto death. That is victorious. You see, Satan knows his time is short and his doom is sealed. Let me show you some scriptures. Matthew chapter 8, 29, Jesus shows up. There's a guy that's possessed of a demon. The demons start speaking back to Jesus, and this is what they say. What have, you to do, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God, have come here to torment us before, look at it, the time. There's a time coming of torment, and the, devil, the demons know it, and he says, why are you here early? We know the destruction is coming. Why are you here early? Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, what did Jesus do when he rose from the dead? Having disarmed principalities and powers. If you don't have arms, if you don't have weapons, then you're not going to win. You can't, you can't fight. And he says he took all the arms, all the weapons away from the enemy. So the enemy, what all, he, all he has is accusation. All he has is noise. He doesn't have power over you. He doesn't have authority over you. He disarmed the principalities and powers. He made a public display of them, triumphing over them in the grave. When he rose from the dead, he made a public display. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Through death he might destroy him who had, notice that, what's the tense of that verb? Past tense, he had the power of death, that is the devil, and released those who through fear of death all their lives were subject to bondage. The enemy doesn't have power over, over death anymore. When Jesus conquered the grave, he conquered the grave. He conquered death. So let's go back to the blood of the lamb. That's the cleansing of the saints. You know, see, you're clean. You're clean in God's sight. Yeah, but what if I mess up? You're clean in God's sight. You see, in the Greek language, we don't have the benefit of this in English, but it says the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And that in the, in the, in the Greek, it means that it continually cleanses us. You know what, what happens? All day long, regardless of what you do, the blood of Christ is continually cleansing you from all sin. But what if I sin again? It's cl continually cleansing you from all sin. What if I sin again? Clini continually cleansing you from all sin. That's why you're saved. You see, if sin stopped and you were guilty every time, you'd have to get resaved every time you sin. What you do, your awareness of it is called sanctification. That's when you say, I'm aware of, that I fall short of being perfect, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to confess my faults to one another and my sins to God. You only confess sins to God. You never confess sins to one another. It's only to God. Can, only God can forgive sin. Okay? And when I do that, that's called sanctify. That means I'm set apart unto God to be holy. I choose to be holy today, God, but the blood of Christ is continually cleansing me from all sin. So the sin never is held against me. Isn't that good news? I mean, it ought to be good news for some of you. You're like really good at sinning, amen? But God, the blood of Christ continually cleanses me from all sin. That's such good news. So watch this. Paul Bilheimer, I love this book called Destined for the Throne. He says this, he that is Satan knows how to ride into our thought on the wave of circumstances, influencing our thoughts, insinuating his own interpretation of situations. What happens? You got a circumstance, you got an emotion, guess what? The enemy shows up and he starts to ride on that. Man, I just, I don't know what's going wrong. I don't know why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. And the enemy comes, I tell you why you're thinking the way you're thinking, because you're not really a Christian. 
You don't really love God. If you love God, you'd, you'd read your Bible every day. If you love God, you'd pray and fast every day. If you love God, you know, and, and on and on and on, and he, and he puts you this weight of guilt on you, and you go, yeah, that's probably true. Because he can't take your salvation. What he's going to take is your joy. Take the joy. If you don't have joy, what do you have left? Confession of the saints, the word of their testimony. You know, your story is so powerful. You will unwrap your story. There's nothing that can invalidate your story. You can say this to people. I don't know the Bible very good. I certainly am not the best Christian on planet earth. But let me tell you what Jesus did for me. He saved me and he loves me in spite of me. What do you do with that? When the enemy tries to, to crush you, you just say, he loves me. He died for me. He rose again for me. And I just begin to unpack my story every day. The word of your testimony is so powerful. And then the courage of the saints. They did not love their life even unto death. You know that, that when you just say, I'm going to choose Jesus above my reputation for a moment. I'm going to choose Jesus above my, my wanting to be right. I'm just going to choose Jesus above everything. Do you know what you're doing? You're not loving your life unto death. You're saying, I'm gonna, I'd rather live for Jesus. I'd give up my life rather than not live for Jesus. There's something very, very powerful about that. God is in control of all things. I want you to remember that. God is in control of all things. Earthly kings are under his control. Human events are under God's control. Good angels are under his control. Satan is under God's control. Human decisions are under God's control. God is in control. Just let him control. Give him the controls. My kids used to get in fights over who's going to control the video game. Give me that controller. Guys, my wife, there's nothing worse than when she gets the clicker. Give me that clicker. She wants, no, that's not given unto woman for the clicker. It's given unto man. It's right there in the Bible somewhere. I know it is. You know what God says? Hand me the controller. I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. Amen? Give me the controller. I'll put it on the right channel. I'll get the volume just right. You'll be happy because you're going to live in the presence. Would you stand with me right now and let's bow our heads in prayer.